thank you for finding us once again for another edition of What's Next, Living Longer, Better, Smarter. Today, bringing memories back to life. This edition is made possible by Vivid Picks. Got a shoebox full of memories? Family, friends, and treasured moments that were captured years ago. Vivid Picks Restore is designed to make restoring old photographs and documents simple. Really just click and fix. It works with PCs and Macs. You'll be amazed, and so will the whole family. At under $50, it's a great investment. And you can even try it for free at vivid-pics.com. And while you're there, check out the new Memory Station Scanning Solution bundled with Restore. The site again is vivid-pix.com. And we are happy that VividPix founder and CEO Rick Voigt will be with us today. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Mary Furlong. Hi, Mary. Hi, Fred. This is going to be fun and informative. I think so, too. With us are Rick Voigt from VividPix. Hi, Rick. Hi, Fred. Hi, Mary. Hi, team. Also with us is Laura Hedgecock, author and owner of A Treasure Chest of Memories. Hi, Laura. Hi, Fred. Nice to be here. And we are also happy to see, once again, Josh Friedis, Chief Research Officer at Certus Institute, part of Certus Senior Living. Hi, Josh. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Thank you all for joining us on this podcast. We all love photos and the stories that they help tell. So we're anxious to learn more. And congratulations on the innovations you're involved in, including an educational effort at VividPix. Rick, tell us about that and the goal here. Well, thanks, Fred. As you know, I've been in the photo industry for a few decades and have enjoyed seeing and participating in countless joyous reminiscing with photos with loved ones and even complete strangers. And an important observation is that strangers can quickly become friends when sharing a story or a commonality that is prompted with a picture, a memory. So our goal is to educate individuals and organizations on the social and health benefits of photos. Well, a big part of the picture is then taking those photos and getting them into a digital format. You've created something called the memory station to help with that uh, and created a video that explains a bit and it will be a good taking off point for us. VividPix makes it simple to relive memories. Many of us, most of us, have shoe boxes, boxes, albums filled with memories and we don't necessarily know how best to approach reliving these memories. So the first thing is how do you bring them off the shelf? How do you organize these, these wonderful parts of our lives and other people's lives in order to begin telling the story? So we've created with Kathy Nelson a portion of the VividPix education series where Kathy is bringing you through step-by-step -step process in order to be able to organize, orient your images. Then two, now that you've got the images all in one place and organized, the ability for you to be able to scan, to digitize those images. So we've created the memory station that is as simple as putting photos and documents down on a mat, pressing a blue button, and all of those images are now scanned and separated into individual images. 
Now these are old memories, and unfortunately memories fade, and that's a double innuendo, i.e. our memories fade mentally, but they also fade and the color goes away. The contrast and the, the variation between black and white goes away. So that's where VividPix Restore helps. So literally with one click, you're able to improve your photos and documents, and then we have easy to use fine tuning to improve further if desired, oftentimes not necessary. And then third, so now I've got all of these digital files, what do I do with them? And, and many of us have more images than we really have the need to tell the story about. We have thousands of, of photos and documents. So how do, you, how do you pull out the most important memories? How do you tease out the fun stuff of those various images? and tell the story. And that's why I'm here with Laura Hedgecock today, to help explain how we do that. And then the last thing that we do is, is that as we age, um, we've seen your moments. We may not remember things quite as well. And that isn't necessarily with cognitive decline or Alzheimer's. We all don't remember things as well as we used to. And we need props, and that's what photos are all about. They trans they transport us to a different point in time and we are able to remember things. So, um, so the process will help all, but then also with cognitive decline and even with more serious Alzheimer's and dementia. We have a whole series of classes with Josh Friedis that does that. Thank you for that, Rick. Laura, tell us more about the role that you and your company, A Treasure Chest of Memories, are playing. My specialty, my passion really is helping others share their memories and their stories and family stories. So like a lot of great things in this world, it started out with my grandmother who wrote down stories and memories throughout her life. And she called that her treasure chest of memories. And those narratives have meant so much to me and the extended family. I wrote a book, which is called Memories of Me, A Complete Guide to Telling and Sharing the Stories of Your Life. And it's to help people do what she did. So I do a lot of public and educational speaking, and I have a website also called treasurechestofmemories.com with lots of tips and prompts. So I've collaborated with Rick before or with VividPick. So he invited me to help create the content for the storytelling portion of the educational modules. And reminiscing can bring out so many stories that we want to share, as well as these conversations that we wanna have with loved ones. But a lot of us need a little bit of tools. So it's not this big, hairy, write your stories task, but it's something that we enjoy doing while we're spending time with people we love and connecting with the people we love. So it's all part of that process that brings us closer. So photos can bring back so many memories and emotions. And sometimes things in the background of the pictures or setting can really stir us too. Exactly. And the more we allow ourselves to go back and to share, the more details we remember. So it's really a gift when we connect the stories, the context of those photos um, with, to our family so that they know what it's all about. Right. We just recently connected with our class reunion and the photo sharing was such an important part of that. And that brings us to Josh, the chief research officer at CERTUS. 
Josh, you've been involved in looking at how all of this can be of real benefit to people with memory issues. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, people with Alzheimer's related dementia, it's very misunderstood. Um, oftentimes we think of the pharmaceutical route of doing things, but what a photo actually provides is a non-pharmacological intervention. Pulling one photo out and having a great experience could get somebody from having behaviors or cognitive fatigue to actually be more cognitively um, involved throughout the day, but also sparking emotions for that person. So for somebody with memory loss, what we've noticed in our research is looking at a photo, people can reconnect. Even if it's a photo, they might not know all the details. What we've noticed is that we revisit photos, pieces of memories come back. And one thing that we often see is caregivers struggle connecting to their loved ones. So it creates this vortex where you can slow down time, sit side by side, look at a photo and reconnect with your loved one and relive experiences. Throughout that process, we've been able to identify different types of dementia, how people respond differently, but now it's actually uh, evolving more where we're doing research on how we can use a photo to improve quality of life for people with dementia, uh, improving cognition, communication, and even crossing barriers of different languages. So not only can it help cognition-wise, um, but it can also improve the industry. There's a lot of very expensive medications out there but our research actually showed that by showing a few photos before giving medicine, some people with dementia are about 50% more likely to take that medication because they have that social bond with a nurse or a caregiver or family member. That could actually change the outcome for that person where they can actually flourish throughout the day, take the medicines that they need to sustain quality of life. So I think one term that uh, we work a lot on is something called prescribing the right photos. And for us, we're defining what that means, but this whole education series is to show no matter who you are, we can connect with one another with a photo, but it's extremely beneficial for caregivers to use a photo that's prescribed with a purpose to have non-photo-based reminiscence therapy outcomes, but to actually achieve quality of life for that person with dementia. So we see it as a treatment within itself to prescribe the right photos for that right person and defining what that looks like. It sounds like you're talking not just people photos or family photos here. No, it can be any photo. So things that people can identify with. Also, genetic, uh, generic photos are a great place to start. If you don't know where to start, just showing a picture of a dog and seeing how that person reacts. Then working with the family to get actual photos of that dog to actually to drill down a little bit more. One thing that, that we stress is when you're working with somebody with a memory impairment, even if you have real photos from their past, don't correct them. Let the stories come out any way that they want to. Let it kind of navigate. What we've noticed is people will self-correct stories and start to bring to a reality that's more within our domain, but people will expand stuff and you'll learn stuff you never knew about, whether they served in the military or they had a trip to France or that they liked to cook. So what we notice is using a photo to navigate that to create more conversations. And you can actually use uh, generic photos that you just find just to start a conversation or real life photos. What we did notice through our research is real life photos people connect with, even if they don't know all the details, they will expand a lot more. Uh, some examples of this, we saw residents actually get wide eyed and start talking more about it or actually leaning into that conversation and actually giving advice. Um, you actually see a different person from the beginning of the session to the end of the session. So just the power of a photo has the power to do that.
Wow, that's very inspiring. Can, can you share with us some of the stories how this has helped people suffering with cognitive and memory issues and their caregivers and families as well? Sure thing. So using a, a photo or a prescribed photo with a purpose, many people with dementia, when they move into a facility or community, I like the word community, is they might ask to go home. That's not always the actual house, but a feeling of home. So we've noticed even putting a photo of their house that they lived in, putting it on their door when they ask to go home, walking them and then talking about that photo and walking in and seeing their, their sheets and their blankets actually allows them to feel a sense of home. But even another thing is we're noticing as people look at photos around a dining room table, people will actually eat more because it's secondary to eat and actually neurologically start stimulating the brain to have social conversation, which is very normal. So what we're noticing is a photo has not been well-researched within a memory care community, but there's so many opportunities that are cost-effective that a photo can impact. One thing we're working a little bit on right now is selecting the right photos with the right words to help people be more successful throughout their day. Needing to go to the bathroom or needing food or just wanting to someone to socialize is using a photo as a way of communication and then also being able to analyze the body and what we're actually seeing. Um, so the, it's kind of endless where the research can go, but we're defining where we actually want to emphasize on that research to have outcomes. Well, thank you, Josh. Uh, and Rick, uh, Josh is part of your educational content as well. What should people know about the role of memory station and the how and where people will want to know about? So memory station is a technical jumping off point. So a lot of people have memories sitting in the closet and or in shoe boxes. And in order to be able to utilize them, it's oftentimes beneficial to digitize them. So we've made that simple with the memory station that literally with clicking one button, you're able to scan a photo. And now so many more things can happen with that photo or memorabilia. You can type in the story behind that photo and that can lead to genealogy of family history. You can record the story that goes with that individual photo and now more easily pass along the story as well as the voice and the feelings that go along with the people, the events within that photo. And as we also saw in our research um, that old faded photos are faded. They're, they're not as vibrant. So by restoring, by using VividPix Restore software, by bringing those back to life, it has better impact, both, both um, research perspective-wise and just in, they're more enjoyable because they look right. And then with documents, many of them have faded. So we actually can make them more legible. So, so the memory station is a technical solution uh, to make it easy to scan. It's currently being deployed in senior living facilities and libraries in people's homes. Um, and then the education that we've been discussing here with Laura and Josh take those photos to the next level. And then we also have education to help people pull them out of the closet, even get take better pictures. So it all fits together on how people interact with photos. How expensive a solution is this for families? If, if you, know, you mentioned facilities that might have them, but for families that might want to invest in this? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the scanner with the software is only $599, uh, $599. And then with an educational package, which covers everything, um, is $799. And then we all $799. And then we even have um, classes for professionals that are about $100 additionally more for professional classes with Josh or with Laura. So ranges from at home, 600 bucks to being a professional institution to less than $1,000. Well, I really love how we're looking at the positive side of engaging older adults. And we love all you're doing to improve the lives of older people, their families and their caregivers. So thank you, Rick, Josh and Laura for spending time with us this morning. Thank you for taking the time, Mary and Fred, and of course to, to Laura and Josh for taking the time for us to be on today. We believe that by creating conversation and connection between people, we can create the social benefits and reduce isolation and loneliness just by creating connectedness. And then in additional, some additional employment opportunities because we're bringing forth new ways of interacting with people. And, and then of course the health benefits that Josh was explaining most of, of so many wonderful ways that we're able to improve the health and well-being of the individual as well as the caregivers. And, and you know, I was one of the White House commissioners on libraries and the internet many years ago, but um, the work that those libraries are doing is so important. The work that the YMCAs are doing is so important. One of my fellow commissioners, Abe Abramson, his library in Missoula, Montana, was just named one of the top libraries in the world, I think. Um, I'm gonna visit him next year when he's 80. We still have pictures, but I'm gonna tell him about what you're doing and, and, and hopefully make that connection. So thanks for being with us today. Congratulations on all the innovations. You can learn more at vivid-pics.com. Don't let your memories fade. One of the things Josh, Rick, and Laura talked about was social isolation. For many people in assisted living, it becomes difficult, sometimes impossible, depending upon where they are, to experience things like museums the way they had been able to in the past. But a team of young people from Princeton University is doing something about that using technology. They call it MOVA, Museum of Virtual Arts. Joining us are Priscilla Zhang, Sophie Jiang, Isla C. Han, and Genyuan Tu. We are very happy to meet all of you. Hi, everyone. Thank you very much, Fred and Mary, for inviting us today. We are MOVA, the Museum of Virtual Arts, and we bring the magic of the arts to your fingertips. I am Sophie. 
I just graduated um, with a Master of Architecture from Princeton, and I'm interested in interdisciplinary collaborations and integrating latest technology to enhance human perceptions. Hi, I'm Priscilla. I'm a rising third year in the Master of Architecture program at Princeton. I'm interested in um, curation, exhibition design in museums, and I'm very passionate in exploring how technology can bring flexibilities and opportunities to museum experience. Hello everyone, my name is Ilo. I'm a third year PhD candidate in architecture technology at Princeton University. My main research focuses on robotic construction, but I also in, I'm also super interested in VR technology and uh, I'm in general excited about using technology for social good. Hi, I'm Deng Yuan. I'm a rising second year in the um, Master of Architecture program at Princeton. I have a background in neuroscience and I'm always interested in using technology like virtual reality and develop it for education as well as entertainment enrichment. Well, this is very exciting, Fred. I think you found uh, gems here. And uh, I'm Mary Furlong. I, um, at one point in my career, I was an, I wanted to be an architect, but instead I became a cyber architect started SeniorNet, the first social network for older people, and then Third Age, and then, of course, this company. Um, but I also was on the National Commission on Libraries and Museums. And so we're very excited about your work. We're working with several museums in the UK that have age tech-specific initiatives. And to see your interest in talent as the senior housing industry is getting redefined as virtual reality is being used in training and senior housing. So um, we'd love you to collaborate with us in the future. Well, Mary, what they're doing is using virtual reality and augmented reality to allow people, including those in assisted living, or maybe even in their home environments, to enter the Museum of Virtual Arts. So we want to hear more about the effort and describe this for us. Uh, Priscilla, I guess, can you go first? Yeah, of course. Um, so MOVA aims to promote accessibility and convenience in art enrichment and education by delivering art experiences immersively to wherever you are. Um, and we care about people who struggle with good experiences, especially art experiences. For example, those older adults, K-12 students, and those underserved communities. We, um, we hope to give the access of art to them. There's nothing I like more than really smart, creative, talented graduate students. Uh, and I'm interested in the story behind the story. So how did you come together to create this amazing idea? Our idea starts from the pandemic lockdown. During that time, people are deprived of the experience of going to museums, especially for those um, who have physical um, constraints and who are um, vulnerable um, because they they are easy to get COVID, especially for those children and seniors. And on the other hand, around like 15% of the museums in the US shut down permanently due to the drastically reduced revenue. Um, also during that time, one of our mentors actually expressed her stress and disappointment of not being able to take her eight-year-old daughter to museums and explore art at this age of having great curiosity for everything. 
So um, seeing all these pains and being inspired by some of the aspects, we wanted to build a platform using AR and VR technology to bring museum experience to people. And this is the beginning of our story. So as a team, we knew each other before we started working together at MOVA. Um, we were all students from the Princeton School of Architecture, and some of us have worked together as partners in different courses, and we share very similar skills in architecture design, innovation, and technology. Um, and we actually have pretty different um, backgrounds and also skills and interests. Um, for example, ex user experience design, data analysis, um, technology, entrepreneurship, and exhibition design. So these kind of um, similarities and differences in our skill sets really drew us together and created MOVA, a very dynamic team. Well, maybe you can tell us about the technology that is being used here and how older adults will be able to experience this. And then I guess you can somebody can chime in too, like how different is it to design things for the metaverse than in the physical space? Um, so MOVA provides immersive and accessible services via VR and AR platforms. Our AR services are more uh, accessible and it lives permanently and updates regularly on our MOVA website. So it provides a very easy access to um, our collections that integrates the virtual uh, space and the physical worlds. For example, you can access the 3D models by simply accessing our website on your phone and project the 3D models into your own space and take a photo with it. Um, and this way you're able to enjoy the, for example, the beauty of Venus and Milo just from your home and true to scale and essentially like anywhere, anytime within just one click. It's also very easily integrated into the existing um, internet promotions like websites and newsletters. Um, on the other hand, our VR services start from the Oculus Quest 2. Um, it is the most affordable standalone VR headsets on the market, and it offers very immersive experiences in the virtual world, which is liberated from the physical constraints. Um, for example, our first issue unfolds the stories behind the divine creatures in ancient Egypt, and Genya will be able to describe a little bit more about the user experience and the design process. Yeah, so as architecture designers, we um, started from scratch to design this wholly, uh, fully virtual space using Unreal Engine, which used to be a game development software, by, um, but we utilize it to um, build a non-traditional exhibition space because as architects, we wanna drive away from the traditional museum spaces and create a whole new experience for virtual reality users uh, in an interactive fashion. Um, so we placed art in with our first issue uh, with Egyptian art, we placed our sculptures in the temple ruin in the, in the desert and in such an open space that's also relax and relaxing environment, our visitors um, like the uh, older adults or anyone can have full control of what they're exploring, whether it's the art or a, just a meditative environment that's fully immersive. And, you know, the viewing environment and the in-depth knowledge display that we created by embedding 3D sculptures, videos, images, and text in this environment cannot be achieved through a normal museum experience. For example, 
users can just sit on their chair wearing this VR headset and even grab a uh, a cat sculpture in their hand and observe it in detail. And this is not what you can typically do in a, in a museum that's where all the collections are basically sealed away behind glasses. Um, so we, we are, we're not only delivering the um, museum art experience to people, we also are enhancing the experience in the digital world. Wow, so that's amazing. So how do you envision growing this and adding more experiences? So we believe that everyone can benefit from our experiences, regardless of their age, physical constraints, social economic status, or geographic locations. In the near future, we're going to further develop our patent pending VR hardware that's cheap, portable, and interactive to lower the economic barrier for VR experiences, therefore approach a broader audience base. In addition to that, we plan to extend our collaboration with museums and art providers, not only to the big names, but also reaching out to small, medium-sized local museums to give them a channel to promote artwork that are often less seen in dominant platforms. Of course, we'll also advance our spatial and interaction design to create unconventional experiences uh, as Gaiman mentioned, not just a simple replica of existing physical space, but also taking advantage of the fact that we are no longer limited or bounded uh, by gravity or existing modes of interaction. Trained as architects, our team is extremely fascinated by the design potential revealed by virtual and augmented reality. Five years from now, we aim to provide convenient and immersive art experiences for global users, showcasing artworks created in different media with cultural diversity. So do you envision yourselves building a company? Yes, we do. <laughs> and it sounds like you're gonna get into the hardware business as well, uh, creating your own virtual reality uh, hardware which is very exciting too, that would be more affordable to, to many other people. And the other thing is in expanding this, I, I can't imagine that there, there you wouldn't be creating unique museums that don't exist already, bringing content in from a variety of, of, of museums around the world. Right, we have the uh, potential to draw artwork from all over the world. It's like, um, we. Um, when we are talking to uh, the museum director, one of the biggest constraints about transporting artwork is that when it gets too expensive, the insurance is extremely high. So it's almost like financially impossible to have extremely expensive and rare artwork all in the same place. But now since we're no longer bounded by these limitations, financial, like physical uh, and transportation limitations, we have the ability to draw arts from anywhere. Is this something that you think people will be paying for, like a subscription or an admission the way museums uh, typically charge for today? How, how do you envision this being funded and, and taking place? Yeah, so in um, in terms of our financial model, to uh, in the beginning, during our user testing phase or for our first um, exhibitions, we are dedicated for those contents to be offered for free. And as we improve our product and as we officially launch our platform in both augmented reality and virtual reality, 
we will be offering competitive price plans on a subscription basis to both individual users and enterprises like the assisted living communities and senior living chains. And we position ourselves as a type of immersive publisher that's a little a similar to traditional publishing industry, um, but we're in collaboration with a wide range of museums and artists. And as a result, our content providers like those museums and artists can be fi financially benefited through our uh, extensive collaborations. And while some of our future issues, our exhibitions may be sponsored to be uh, offered for free, um, we are we are planning that the individual users will be able to subscribe to our um, AR content for a much cheaper price in comparison to those traditional publisher or um, contents like the New Yorker. And um, we're envisioning our virtual reality content that's also updated regularly to be offered at a competitive price, lower price, in comparison to those existing uh, services on virtual reality, like the games. Um, yeah, so, um, and for enterprises like assisted living chains and senior living chains, uh, we are negotiating, we will be negotiating an affordable price for uh, each one of them with, uh, so that like all their residents in the communities can directly get access to our content without paying extra fees. Sophie, I know you want to have something to say here too, but can you tell us if you're getting a cooperative spirit from the museums around the country, maybe around mm -hmm. the world? Um, currently, MOVA is actively moving forward with the conversation um, with local museums, for example, Princeton University Art Museum, and we have established um, this preliminary collaboration intent that we're going to investigate the world of like digital exhibition um, for museums and also the privacy issues and also what are the potentials out there. So we are going to do it more like a research base to start with, um, but we are looking to integrate more into hopefully the new building uh, for the museum. And also we have spoken with um, um, a gallery in Philadelphia, and we're looking to potentially host our physical um, exhibition or public events um, next year in April. Um, so we do have these like content providers. They are like very interested in our platform and wanted to move forward with our collaborations. And just to add on to that, um, during our research um, and our um, conversations with museums, we learned that only two to three percent of the whole collections in the museum are on display. And most of the collections are actually in the back storage of the museum. So um, using by using our technology, we actually can um, showcase their collections in their back storage. So in um, like from this perspective, we are envisioning that we can have like a good partnership with the museums and then to like um, progress together. We definitely wanted to mention that we are expanding our services into, into the education sector. So we are hopefully to provide affordable services um, through subsidized programs to schools. Uh, for example, K-12 students will be able to access our content for free and also students and teachers, especially in those underprivileged institutions can utilize our services as well. And um, But one thing that's never changed is that 
Uh, part of our profits will always go into the pro bono market to always facilitate our access to more underserved communities and provide good immersive art experiences available to all. You know, never underestimate the power of students and great ideas. And I love that you're looking at this issue of social isolation and you're leveraging your art and architecture for common good. Um, people love those kinds of stories. So congratulations on what you're doing and all of the innovation. We can't wait to see what is next for you. Terrific. Well, the website is movarts.com. Mary, the key word you used was innovation. It really is great to see the innovations that we heard about here and then from Rick, Laura, and Josh. And who knows, maybe we'll see virtual and augmented reality being used in reminiscence therapy as well. Yes, and you know, I'm reading a book right now on the metaverse, and of course we work closely with Embodied Labs. So it's very exciting and interesting. Um, and I love the talent of the team coming together with this idea. Thank you very much for having us today. Um, it's definitely our pleasure to share our exciting venture and connecting with the community. So we'll be actively moving forward with our partnership with museums and other content providers and hopefully to produce more um, interesting contents and um, advance with the age tech industry together. So thank you again for Mary and Fred for hosting us today. Thank you. <laughs> well, just wonderful. We want to thank all of our guests today. Also our sponsor, Vivid Picks at vivid-picks.com. Don't let your memories fade. And of course, we appreciate all of you being with us. You can find all of our podcasts, including What's Next Longevity Deal Talk, at maryfurlong.com slash podcasts.